Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. This is Recode Media, Peter Kafka, and that is me. And as you can tell from our intro music, not our standard intro music, this is a special episode for me and my guest. That's because De La Soul, the groundbreaking hip-hop band, is finally streaming their music. I've been hoping for this for many, many years. My guest has been hoping for it for a couple of years. Her name is Gulnar Kasrochahi. Did I butcher your name? No, you did not. Oh a God. plus on the name, Peter. A plus for effort, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Welcome. You're the CEO and founder of Reservoir Media. You guys own the De La Soul uh, catalog because you bought it from you bought Tommy Boy Music, which owned it for many years, was not streaming it. Now, as we're podcasting, that music is streaming. So thank you for that. My pleasure. It uh, was a Herculean effort by a team of people who have dedicated the past 18 months um, the band included, to get us here, and we couldn't be more excited. I want to talk about De La Soul and the music and how it got here, and then I also want to talk to you about Reservoir Media because sure. I'm interested in, in music generally. You're a small, independent uh, music publisher. You want to get some catalogs. I want to talk about how the business has and hasn't changed over the past few years, but let's talk about the De La Soul streaming. Again, you can tell how excited I am because I've been, I've been <laughs> what are you looking doing at midnight? for this. <laughs> I guess I'm going to be streaming De La Soul and prepping for another interview too. For years when I would write about digital music, I could always tell if a streaming service was legal, had, had legally cleared their stuff because if they had De La Soul in it, it meant that they hadn't licensed their music. This happened quite a bit. Like 10, 15 years ago, music startups say, we have this new catalog. And it turns out they, they didn't. If you follow digital music, follow hip hop, you've known this has been this big absence for a long time. Can you tell us why the music wasn't streaming prior to you guys owning it? Sure. I mean, I think, you know, we're operating in a time where there is a lot more vigilance and technology available to assess um, how streaming ready music is and samples being cleared. Um, so this is an early hip-hop band that was famous correct. for using... I mean, they are known for their sampling. Um, and what, one of the things that they are known for, um, you know, in addition to their incredible talent. Um, and uh, so First so album was 1989. This is the really early years yes, of hip-hop. Yes. Uh, and they had this sort of musically rich, sample-rich complex music that drew Very from all so. kinds of stuff. Very much so. And the reason that uh, the music was not available in the digital age across digital platforms had to do with um, just a lot of these sample clearances and uh, making sure that all rights holders uh, were represented and had consented. So when you sample music now, you didn't know this back then, apparently you're supposed to, you, everyone whose music gets incorporated into your song gets paid and you need their permission Correct. to do that. Artists know and about it's this not, now. You know, it, it's not, it's part of our normal course of business. Right. It's not an outlier event for us. This is something we do every day. This is something all music companies do every day, but it's a matter of doing it. And back then they didn't. And then 
even though other music from the same era that was also sample heavy was somehow cleared, again, you can tell I how old know, I am. I don't, I don't, I wouldn't say that they didn't. I think it was more hit or miss. Uh-huh. And I think that technology today, you know, there's, there's no gray area. You either know there's the paperwork and everything's there mm-hmm. and it's cleared and it's ready for streaming or it's not. So that's the difference in, in the day and age that we live in today. So I would ask various people who either owned the music or were about to own the music why this stuff wasn't streaming. And they basically said it's just too expensive and arduous to go back and and clear all these samples, hundreds and hundreds of samples for, an, for an album. That's not, you, that's not a mischaracterization. You bought this catalog for $100 million a couple of years ago knowing this De La Soul music was in there. Did you always intend then to release that stuff? I don't think maybe intention is the right word, but hope. I think hope from the perspective of being music lovers, of being very knowledgeable, academically so, about hip-hop and the history of hip-hop and their influence in hip-hop. I think from the perspective of just fiduciary obligation and cultural obligation, so yes, that was very much that was part of the value. Absolutely, part of that hundred million dollars was absolutely. there's this rare gem that we can excavate. Hopefully, and sort of work with the group. And this has very much been something that we have done alongside the group and several other parties. And that was the intent. Yes, that was the hope and the intent. And indeed, it was the first phone call that was made once the deal closed. And so what goes in then to doing – do we like the excavation metaphor? Are they? Are you digging through files? Well, it's, it's, a lot of, it's a lot of digging through files and it's a lot of knowledge from that moment and just working on making sure that every single track has essentially all of the information around it and it's cleared and the paperwork is there, et cetera. So it's um, – it's a lot of tedious work. It sounds like when I'm doing my taxes, this is stuff that would have been a lot easier to do if I did it right the first time around. Uh, So you're not going back, you know, 20 years or more than that. So it's, it's a lot of that kind of work. I was reading the Times yesterday. It sounds like you were able to clear almost everything. A few things aren't cleared. And so you have to sort of like re-record or just clip that out of the recording. Correct. There's a again because I'm very old. I recognize both the the song and the original clip. Uh, there's an Eddie Murphy sample yes. in one of them where it's distorted. And anybody ever got hit by a car? Yeah. So either Eddie Murphy didn't give you the rights or wouldn't sell them to you, or yeah. I mean, it's uh, listen. There are hundreds of samples that we cleared, mm-hmm. and the details around each of them that are different. But anything that was standing in the way, sort of obstructing. Um, we had to work around it. We did. So, so what, what is the impact? Um, we're, again, we're recording this on Thursday. On Friday, when we this podcast is out, the music will be streaming widely on all platforms. Will that generate instant revenue for you guys, for the band, for the rights holders yeah, I mean, on it's, day one? It's, yes, absolutely. I mean, it's, uh, it's getting streamed and that generates revenue. So. And in an ideal situation, where where is the majority of revenue you're going to generate from this music going to come from? Is it going to come from people streaming stuff on Spotify? Does this the fact that it's cleared now allow you to license it? I know that one of these songs uh, showed up at the end of uh, the one last Spider-Man movie. Yep. Does this open up other commercial it opportunities does. as I well? Mean, it, it opens up other licensing opportunities. So, you know, when you ask where do you want it to come from, Volume and dollar amount are different Mm -hmm. in that the licensing opportunity for synchronization placement 
uh, could be significant. Explain what synchronization, synchronization you, placement when is. When you license music uh, in film, in trailers, in television commercials, TV shows, movies, etc. When that song appeared at the end of the Spider-Man exactly. movie, that's a sync. So that was Magic Number, and it was on the credits of uh, the Spider-Man movie in, I believe, in November. And so that's a significant placement. Um, or it could be a significant mm-hmm. placement when you're putting you know, music into into film like that. And so having music that is licensable is beneficial. Now, you're going to have volume coming from streaming, mm-hmm. just as far as people, number of streams. But there's a whole new opportunity set now that didn't exist before. And then unfortunately, one of the members of the band just died days ago in advance of this, so it's very bittersweet. Do you know what the band was planning on doing that they now can't do because they're now down a member? And I assume they had a whole, and do have a whole sort of rollout for this planned. They do, um, and there is a a rollout. Um, You know, this has really shaken everybody up. Um, It's been devastating for for everyone. It'll be two weeks Saturday. And... uh, I don't really think, at least I'm in a position to answer sort of definitively what will happen and won't happen. Is there anything out there comparable to this where it's this music that's a glaring cultural omission mm-hmm. that isn't available widely and everyone sort of knows about it, but it hasn't been solved? Or is this is this a set of one? This is a very, it, it can't be very, but this is a unique definition situation. definition of unique. Uh, it's a unique situation in so far as how we went about getting involved. Unique in so far as it, it, every every bit of it has been unique. I don't know of another situation like this, but um, that could also be because this is all our team has been doing for eighteen mm-hmm. months. So it's just um, that's that's what we've been focused on. I, I'm sure there are maybe not on the same scale, and maybe not with the same cultural significance. This is a $100 million bet for you guys. It's not just De La Soul. It's for the entire Tommy Boy Correct. album. And just for scale, that's roughly what your revenue was last bets, year. We do though. I just want to make sure. That... It's a venture. It's a... It is, but, you know. It's a big investment. My point is... Yes. This is roughly the equivalent of the revenue you guys brought in last year is Correct. what you spent acquiring this album. Is this their biggest acquisition? It is. Yeah. And... and why this one as opposed to other assets? Lots and lots of publishing has been available. Lots and lots yeah. of recorded music has been available for um, some time. So we acquired this in June of 21. And it was an opportunity for us to expand our, the label side of our business. We had bought Chrysalis Records in June of 2019. And this opportunity presented itself. It was one where we had, you know, we had a look at very, very high quality assets and ones that we were creatively familiar with and one a catalog that we you know would have loved to to add to to our catalog we can't predict deal flow this was what came across our desk and so yes there are plenty of assets that are available out there i don't think one can afford to wait for something better that comes let's do out. let's do music business 101 sure. what is a record label what is a music publisher you're both now i think we people are. have a sense of oh a music label signs an act and puts out what used to be called records or cds yes. and now songs that's not really the business you guys are in for the most so part. we started out as a publisher and by publisher that means that we own copyright copyright to the um, underlying song 
Correct. And we that means we own the words and the music. We earn revenue based on the license of that copyright, and we do that license every single day, a hundred different ways, a hundred different times. And so you're both in charge of making sure that when Spotify plays a song, that you get paid for that. You're also in the business of bringing a song to a Sony and saying, hey, this, this might work really well in your next Spider-Man movie or your Correct. next commercial. And then we are also, by virtue of owning the copyright, we're also earning revenue with all the UGC now that goes on user-generated content on platforms, on video platforms, for example, where you could be posting a video of you doing Take Me Home, Take Me Home Country Road mm-hmm. because we have an interest in the that John Denver copyright. So because we own the words and the music, we are actually deriving revenue regardless of whether it's the John Denver version or any of the 400 other versions of that particular I song. I upload a ver- a, me that's singing that song You're using uh, on Instagram. Words. That's the intellectual property that you are Instagram uh, Meta has a deal right. with you and other publishers yes. and you get paid even though I'm not I'm totally unaware of this. Yes. So that's the publishing side of the business. The publishing side of the business has really stable has been quite stable even through a lot of upheaval in this business. Even when the industry collapsed, Napster it hasn't it even when the industry collapsed it not that it didn't suffer a downtrend, but it was still a stable part of the business. Because there's this constant, because it's, people are playing it, it, music correct. all the time and on it, radio, TV, correct. wherever, and you're getting paid, even if no one's buying CDs correct. or buying, and you are, paying for Spotify. It behaves, these cash flows behave like an annuity. Mm-hmm. You don't have, what you have on the label side is a lot of marketing investment, things like that. You don't really have that on the publishing side. So... That's how we got started. You started that? Yes. And, and you started, started the company? Correct. And we started buying assets, and uh, you know, I'm sure we made mistakes along the way. Uh, we got better at doing what we were doing. We grew our team, and we are now at about 140,000 copyrights, close to about 100 headcount worldwide. In theory, someone doesn't have to sell you those rights. They no. could just own them, and they could Correct. figure out some way of administering themselves and keep it all, but most people who record music and write music don't want to be in that business. They want you to service them. Yeah, it's not really something you can do on your own. You're collecting from over 500 different sources worldwide, so the administration part of it is not a DIY-type mm-hmm. project if you want to indeed collect all of the money that you are entitled to collecting. That part of the business is still, it's still messy. I mean, there's no other way to describe yeah. it. And it gets messier, right? The more platforms, it does, international. But it's also, it's getting messier in that there are more payors, but it's getting tidier insofar as the reporting and the frequency of income and visibility because a lot of these usages now are digital. Um, this is often why, you, well, I don't know if you hear it anymore, but in the last couple of years, people were excited about blockchain. They would often talk about uh, record and publishing royalties as something the blockchain could really help solve because so. it is really complicated. It is, and it can it can point to the provenance of a song. I mean, that's that's the data that you could get from music being put on a blockchain, the thing about it is that everybody needs to participate for that information to be perfect around that provenance and around transaction. And the music industry is not really known for coming together and participating 
altogether mm-hmm. in in a you know in a platform in a technology itself. Kind of have to get dragged into this stuff. I think that's certainly where the next disruption happens in music is definitely on the back end B two B. Um, Super unsexy stuff. If you're a music consumer, so. has zero you impact on you. Yeah, you would never know about it, but it's going to be around administration, collections, transaction history, provenance, ownership, ways to really make this whole thing more efficient. And you also then more recently got became a record label as well. So you yes. own actual recordings. Right. And so – when we acquired Chrysler's Records, we had a couple of very small uh, record label assets, and then we acquired Chrysalis, and then came Tommy Boy. I mean, we're still looking at you know sixty percent plus of our revenue coming from publishing, but we have this great infrastructure now that we can build on and that we can buy more recorded signed assets with, and you know ingest them into that. Does system. is that is owning recorded music in terms of what you do with that and how you exploit it and how you license it, is it in any way meaningfully different than publishing? Or is I mean, the same there, idea? It's, it's the same idea. There are nuances that are different, but it's it's the same idea. There is a certain piece of IP or there is a master recording and you are deriving revenue licensing that. And again, when we think about record labels, if we don't spend time thinking about the music business, we think of labels that are signing artists that are putting out right. new music. You're not in that business. We are in that business, but not in in a way that is, you know, sort of top 40 type artists. We're in that business within niches. Um, that business is capital intensive. If Again, if you are after those sort of top 40 types. So objects. you're not in the business of going out and finding the next The weekend and no. paying him a bunch of money and hoping that no. it all works out and one out of 10 is No, and we're it. not in that business on our publishing roster right. either. Just because it's that takes a different risk profile that we're not really comfortable with. We'll be right back, but first a word from a sponsor. Support for this show comes from Fiverr, the world's largest marketplace for freelance services. In the fast-paced world of business, every decision counts. And when it comes to hiring, there's no room for guesswork. That's why Fiverr has developed solutions for businesses to make outsourcing projects simple, quick, and compliant. You can gain access to curated talent through Fiverr Pro's catalog of top freelancers, organized by skill and experience. Streamline your projects with a user-friendly dashboard, where you can track progress and collaborate with your team. And for anyone needing the highest level of white glove service, Fiverr Pro's project partners can manage multiple freelancer engagements for you. Project partners will outline requirements, assemble a roster of freelancers, and manage a schedule to ensure your deliverables are completed on time. Ready to scale smarter? Visit pro.fiverr.com to sign up and use code VOX for 15% off any service. That's pro.fiverr.com and use code VOX. So there have been a lot of stories over the last few years about artists. Usually we call them legacy artists, the, the Bob Dylans of the world, the Springsteens of the world, selling their either recorded music or publishing or both for eye-popping sums. Justin Bieber just did one. He's one of the few current artists that are doing that. And what we read for a long time was, oh, they finally figured out that these things are, are assets that can throw off a lot of money. But that everyone knew that. Before that's why they were valued. Listen, this business has been around for a long time, and there were even versions of this a long time. There was something called Bowie Bonds in the nineties. Yeah, but even before that, I mean, we acquired a company called Shapiro Bernstein. You know, it was hundred years old, and 
They've been in business for a long time. This is not new news. And so the arguments about the the values of these mm-hmm. things going up and up and up was, oh, well, now there's Spotify and other places right. to license it. And there's, there's suddenly new ways to exploit this. And so they're now more valuable than before. Does that logic sound right to you when you saw all these things trading? And you have not purchased these mega catalogs. No. The logic makes sense. I think part of the logic is that the uncertainty is no longer there just around streaming, around monetization of streaming. We have a pretty clear um, sense of what exactly. music business is going to look like for right. the next several decades. Apple's going to allow you to stream music and they're going to pay royalties to the rights owners. So that uncertainty has been removed. Um, I think that there's also some pretty compelling numbers and some pretty compelling people issuing their outlook on music and what that next decade looks like. You're talking about analysts, investors saying, exactly. we think this thing is worth yeah. it. I mean, you have, you know, reputable analysts talking about what the music industry looks like, what consumption looks like, what subscription growth looks like, what emerging markets growth, Latin American growth, et cetera. So that's all pretty compelling. And it's just this fundamental idea. There's just going to be more people listening to more music more often. And so these things are worth more. It's pretty wild if you follow this stuff back from the Napster days where the thought was all this is going to zero basically. Well, exactly. Then the cynical counter to this was, well, these deals are happening because interest rates are 0%. Um, they're still happening. They're st- so that, so, <laughs> But they have slowed down, right? If I were to say that they have slowed down, that would be based on nothing other than anecdotal evidence. And I don't really have that. So you guys are a small player in this business. You yes. couldn't bid on Justin Bieber, presumably. We could. It's not that we couldn't bid on it. We are not going to win the transactions that are purely price driven. So you're competing with the big established labels and now there are a new set of publishers and there's also just financial players. There's financial players as well. So we're not and, and people are solving for different returns and they have different hurdle rates. And if I'm competing against somebody who has a desired 6% return, we're not going to win that deal. Um, secondarily, we are mindful of concentration across our portfolio. If we're going to add $200 million of Bieber, you need to sort of stop for a moment and look at what that portfolio then looks like from a concentration perspective. And we have always taken a portfolio approach to building the business, and and that's very important. So we may shy away from something. So when, when you do want to win a deal and you're going up against people who have more resources than you. Yes. Right. So you can't always be the top bidder and you no. may not be. No. How are you winning a deal when you're when you're a small fish? I think a lot of this is relationship based. You are dealing with people's creative products and where that goes is important to them. Um, we are able to execute on a lot of off market deals. Tommy Boy was an off market deal because of our meaning, relation- meaning there was no auction process around it. And um, you just said you went to who who owned it at the time? Was it EMI? No, it was Tommy Silverman. Tom, yeah. Tom Silverman. Yeah. Okay. So we we do win based on relationship. We do win based on our reputation as stewards and caretakers of legacy catalogs. We do win because of what we do on organic growth, which is significantly above what the industry growth is. Say it's about seven percent. Our last reporting was at sixteen percent. And these are all the inputs that help us convince a seller to come with us. So what are the levers and dials you can turn once you own an asset to make it more valuable, right? Because a lot of it is 
people are going to stream the music or they're not going to stream the music, right. probably limited limited impact that you can have on that. Yeah, I mean, there's some some impact you can have there, but it's not really uh, it's not significant. We call everything that we do in that area value enhancement, but we really believe that. That isn't just sync. That isn't just placing magic number in a you know Spider-Man movie. It is across administration. It's across digital licensing. We were the first company independent to do a direct deal with YouTube, so we started monetizing that very you know that content very very early on. Um, and so we stay ahead of a lot of all of that. And so all of these things just contribute to that difference between what we are saying is industry growth and what is our organic growth. Um, I think, you know, we have academic initiatives. So those are not generating a lot of money, but they're interesting initiatives. And What's an academic initiative? We have um, work we've done with NYU at Steinhardt, work we've done with Drexel around some of our legacy catalogs. And part of that, again, it's not generating revenue, but it's certainly educating a next generation of students and listeners about the Billy Strayhorn catalog, for example. We have that obligation. It's a little bit, you know, the De La Soul situation is you have an entirely new audience that's going to consume this music now. Right. They literally have not been able to listen they've to it. They've never listened to it. Um, I mean, it's possible that they've never listened to it. So um, I think that is step one in in that education or, you know, what we're doing now with Dela, this this is all step one in getting the music out there and continuing to keep it familiar, which we do believe is our job. And then maybe step two is actually a revenue generation based on that education that we've done. Mentioned TikTok and YouTube for a while. YouTube, like music, digital music, was really a YouTube thing. Yes. Um, this is sort of preceding Spotify licensing stuff, and YouTube had a sort of fraught relationship with the music industry, it seems like it's resolved more or less. Are there sort of rules of the road that are pretty established now when it comes to Meadow wants licenses, TikTok wants licenses, or do each one of these platforms have different ambitions and different use cases and you've got to sort of create a new structure for each one of these? So I think it's not just create a new structure. I think that so much of that part of the business and consumption has been in flux and so much has changed that that also drives conversations around new structure. And I think how they perceive themselves also drives what the terms are. TikTok, well, TikTok hasn't had a good couple of days, but they perceive themselves to be a music discovery channel. Right, which, by the way, all the all the platforms start with this, right? Yes. You, we, we shouldn't pay you anything, right? Because we're making your music so much more valuable because we reach this many gazillion people. Right. So you're welcome. Right, but they've gone a step further, and they have, you know, they have a streaming platform, so they don't they're not losing those eyeballs that are actually discovering music, and they're not discover they're not losing that to a streaming platform. So the terms around the around the compensation, around monetization, I think is it's not all predictable yet. The the TikTok use case is particularly interesting because it's so meme-based, right? So if you spend any time on there at all, you'll realize that all of a sudden everyone is using the same 
two-second clip or whatever, and they've got no idea where the clip came from, but right. they, everyone else but is everyone, using that's it. That's how it's driven. Um, do you have an artist? Do you have someone in your catalog who's who's benefited from from being a TikTok meme yet? Not in the not in in the category of you know sort of go completely and and what do, what happens when an artist's stuff is sampled for whatever reason and shows up are they getting paid directly yet i'd have to look into it but it's not like in that specifically what's happening there but what i will say around all of that is that tiktok is not a massive source of any kind of revenue yeah. And so do you buy the discovery argument? No. 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 You're never going to buy the discovery argument. You're going to no. say, it's great that we're going to be discovered and also pay me. Absolutely. I mean, it's not, you know, this is discovery. This is a marketing line item. I'm not buying that. But that's all resolved, though, basically, right? I mean, the, the, the rules of the world seem like... That's what I'm saying. I mean, you asked, you know, this is all the terms are set. I don't think the terms are the terms are different, but the idea that I think yes, if you're big enough and you use this stuff, you're going to pay. That doesn't mean that you won't have a DSP change their mind at some point. And then again, the same question for scale for you. So you are a smallish company. how do you ensure that you are getting the same right, same seat at the table as a Warner Music or Universal Music? I mean, we can never ensure that. We don't have visibility into that. Because um, there are coalitions of indie publishers. Definitely. And so, yes, when there are deals that are made as part of a class of independence, then we know that we are <clears throat> part of a group. But we can never – we don't have visibility into what Universal is doing or Warner is doing or what Sony's agreement looks like. Um, nor will we ever. And uh, we just have to continue to do what is the most responsible for ourselves and our rights holders. Uh, digital stuff runs in your family. Your cousin Dara runs uh, Uber. How did you get into this business? So I'm a classically trained pianist. I was spending quite a bit of time on buy side music licensing before doing this. How do you get how do you get into that business? I was working in advertising, marketing, experiential design. And then you just whip that off, like, and then that got you into licensing music. Well, that was part of what we did every mm-hmm. day because we were working with pretty big brands. Um, and then, from a family office perspective, we got into a business which acquired uh, royalty streams on in-market FDA-approved drugs and devices. And. My brother runs that business, and uh, there are quite a lot of parallels between that IP around a compound and IP of music and an inventor or a songwriter. Um, So I started looking into how creators were getting paid and monetizing their intellectual property, generally in book publishing, television shows, films, etc., um, music seemed to be an interesting way to go because you mentioned the Bowie Bonds earlier. There was some history in finance of how people finance these assets. So this is roughly when that you got into this? 2007. 2007. So the, the digital music collapse yes. has already happened. No one was getting into this business. <laughs> but maybe there's some green shoots or no, it was just a dead zone. No, I mean, it. it was a very strange time to be getting into the business because as you said, People thought music is dead. This is it's going to go to zero. 
Um, and uh, we just started getting educated about the business and educated about how to buy assets, how to value these assets. But looking back, we should have bought every single thing that came across our desk. If you'd been buying in 2007, indiscriminately, everything had e- gone up. Everything. Everything. But was that your thesis? Like, we think we're, we think there's a trough no, I mean, here? I'd or... love to tell you that that was the thesis because that sounds really intelligent. The thesis generally was that owning IP and content in the long run was going to be beneficial and that some digital stabilization was going to result in an increase in value of these assets. But by no means was this thesis uh, representative of the growth that we've seen. Mentioned interest rates and the fact that they're no longer zero and that has, has slowed lots of businesses down. Um, anything else structural for you that, that you have to worry about to beyond running your own business day to day that you need the music either industry to solve or be aware of? I mean, we do a lot of work advocating for songwriter compensation. So that we do through the National Music Publishers Association, and that's ongoing work. Now we have royalty rates in the United States set for the next five years, uh, and that's in mechanical streaming. And, and it's um, a copyright board that sets that. CRB, Copyright Royalty Board. Um, so the U.S. government sets these rates. Yes, this is all part of the Department of Justice. Um, and so that's something that we will always advocate for. I think, I mean, I think what we talked about earlier, I think that, um, cleaning up provenance, identity, transaction history, uh, is going to result in a lot more efficiency in our business. And that can, that will accelerate payment. Uh, you have to understand we operate in a business where sometimes it takes nine months to get paid. So when I first met you, blockchain was still a thing people were talking right. about. Yes. And we were talking about that and you just explained like, this, sound, yeah, this sounds like interesting stuff, but it's going to take a long time to show up. What's the intermediate step to, to make it easier for artists and owners to, to claim their royalties? Mm, I think uh... – well, I mean, the digital licensing side of things has improved. That will continue to improve. There'll be new technologies. We, How you actually put music out and license that music, we use, for example, a platform called Disco. Um, there's a lot of technology that is intermediate that isn't necessarily the entire catalog is now on a blockchain and you know we're done. There, there, there are things in between that are happening. And I think those steps in between will finally get everybody to... It's this interesting industry, right? Because there's a lot of money flowing through it, but it's almost devoid of glamour. The industry is interesting for that. A lot of very predictable, boring cash flows. It's interesting because I can't name a lot of other or any other businesses where the product is identical globally. No consumer product, no digital product is the product identical globally and available to everybody at the exact same time. It's an interesting business because you haven't seen any kind of pricing shift in a decade. So if you look at a Spotify subscription, it's been the same price for mm-hmm. 10 years, over 10 years. Uh, so there are a lot of these little Do you think the pricing nuances. changes, by the way? I hear periodically someone will float the idea that like maybe we should have variable pricing and more po- popular stuff or some stuff will cost different. It'll, right. It'll, I think it'll... the variable pricing is right now you see in the ad-supported versus uh, advertising-free models. 
Um, we have seen price increases with Apple and Amazon. We've seen price increases with Spotify in certain territories. Um, at some point, it's inevitable. Obviously, we don't have visibility into that. Uh, but I think as people look, as analysts have an outlook on to just tailwind and growth in this industry, it's got to assume part of that is a price increase. It is, as was in that music in the airport, the most under-monetized form of entertainment out there. For nine ninety nine, you can access all the music in the world. So you're telling me I got to pay more soon for my Spotify. Well, I mean, it's okay. So maybe you pay ten ninety nine. Okay. I mean, pay it's more. not it's not a Netflix jump from nine to twenty. And also, you, I can stream Day of Soul now. Well, yes. Golnar Kasrashahi. Did I get it? Yes, you did, Peter. Thank, Thank you. you for coming on. Thank you for bringing De La Soul to me and everyone else. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be here. Thanks for coming. Thanks again to Golnar for coming on. I hope you guys can tell how excited I was about this. Some of you thought I was going to have Taylor Swift on. Not yet. Eventually. Uh, one day. Taylor, come on Recode Media. Um, thanks again to Jelani and Travis for editing and producing this one, turning it around quickly. Thanks to our sponsors for bringing this episode to you for free for zero dollars. Best deal in media. Thanks to you guys for listening. This is Recode Media. We will see you next week earlier than normal uh, on Monday morning. There should be another very cool podcast for you to consume for free. See you soon. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com.